Hey guys, uh, welcome to Rocket Pod. This is the fourth episode we are recording with Jeff Saur. Jeff Saur, aka Jeff Analytics. He's a Google Analytics expert who has turned more than fourteen thousand digital marketers into Google certified professionals. He's also named one of the top twenty-five most influential PPC expert. So, welcome Jeff on the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Yep. So let's get uh, started. Jeff, everybody relies on GA. I think every company out there who has a website. So the next step they take after making a website is they implement Google Analytics in into it. So I want to ask, like, what are some common mistakes like people make uh, while implementing Google Analytics? Sure. Yeah, people make a lot of mistakes when it comes to Google Analytics. Not really through the fault of their own, but basically, Google makes it so easy to set up an account that you think that if you just put code on your website or install a plugin on your WordPress blog that puts in your Google Analytics ID, that you're done. And so, I think the biggest mistake people make is thinking that they're done just by putting code on their website. Because if you do that and that only that, then you don't get the opportunity to track goals in GA, which help you find whether or not you're achieving success on your website. So setting up goals is the first mistake people make or the the first mistake they make is to not set up goals. The next thing is is when they're sending traffic to their website, whether it's through paid advertising, organic social, whatever it is, email marketing, not tagging campaigns. If they don't tag their their website with campaign tracking, then they're not going to know that they sent traffic back to their website. And that makes your data not look very good. And so a lot of the times the problems people have with analytics is that they just don't get the best quality data. And it's because they're not feeding the right information into Google Analytics. Oh, that's, that's interesting. I think uh, I, when I started Google Analytics, I made the same mistakes what you just mentioned. But then I learned about it and I stopped doing those. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Yeah. So what are some of the ideal funnels and reports that you suggest every SaaS company should have in their Google Analytics? Yeah, I mean, I think if you're, a, if you're a SaaS company and you want to track what's happening, I would assume that you're doing some kind of, well, it, I'm assuming that, that if you have a business funnel in the first place, so you have to have some kind of funnel that you want that you have in place for your potential customer to go through if you want to track it in GA. And so I would say an ideal funnel, first of all, is to have a picture of what your funnel is in a, in the, in the real world, like what, what your customer goes through. And then once you understand what that funnel is, you can train Google analytics to recognize how go through each step. And so you can set up goals inside your GA to track what happens in your funnel. Now, as far as what is an ideal funnel, um, it's hard for me to say that it really depends on the product, the price point. It depends on whether you're going for a monthly subscription, an annual subscription, whether you have a fiercely loyal customer base or if there are people who are just heard of you. And so it's hard for me to tell what funnel to build out without knowing more about the specific business. But basically anything that you do from a strategic perspective, any funnel that you want to create, you can definitely track it in Google Analytics and you can train Google Analytics to recognize whether you're successful or not. That's interesting. Recently, Google Analytics came out with an Insights tab uh, on the right-hand side. What do you think about that? The Insights? I think it's an attempt to do artificial intelligence, and it's working okay. And when I, when I say okay, that's a generous way to put it. I think that it's it's beginner-level beginner artificial intelligence, and I think that it's not quite 
at the level where you're going to get real insights out of it. And so uh, I think that it probably has several years to go before it does anything meaningful. And, and a lot of that comes down to the quality of data that Google Analytics collects. And, and basically, if you don't have campaign tracking in place, if you don't have your e-commerce tracking, your goals in place, then they're going to make us about stuff like bounce rate or really low value metrics that are there for everybody. And they're going to say that, oh, your bounce rate went down when that has no impact on your business. So right now, it's not really tied to outcomes of your business. It's just an attempt at doing very elementary uh, automated artificial intelligence. Right. And when I used it for some of the queries in English, it really helped me. So for example, I used it for a couple of queries like, uh, what are my users coming from? Uh, are they laptop versus mobile or desktop versus mobile? Mm -hmm. And it basically gives me a graph, a bar graph there itself in the inside tab. So I kind of like it. It's I, I accept with you that it's just the basic thing. But I think Google will come up with something great out of it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So when I mentioned about that, I'm having Jeff on the podcast. Uh, so my peers were very excited and they all had, uh, most of them had one question that Google used to allow user tracking, user ID tracking in Google Analytics before, but uh, they stopped it a while ago. So what do you think of that? And what alternative do you recommend? You're saying user tracking? like Yeah. User. Okay. Uh, yeah, there was some user. Uh, there was some user tracking, which which would allow uh, Google Analytics to track the events of a particular user with their name mm -hmm. and email out of it. So currently, Google allows that, but it's just user ID, and we cannot identify yeah. which user is that. Yeah. So, so Google's never allowed you to have. I mean, if you put your email address in there, if you collected somebody's email address or their first and last name, that's been against their terms of service for about seven or eight years now. So it's it's actually been uh, disallowed for a long time. They just might be enforcing it more now. Right. But basically, yes, user ID is an anonymous, non-identifiable way of tracking somebody across devices or a logged in user specifically going, you know, going through different areas. And actually, I think that's, that's really what Google Analytics design, is designed to do. It's not meant to be a great user analytics tool. It's not meant to be a replacement for a mixed panel. Right. or any type, of, any type of user analytics tool. Frankly, Google Analytics is a way to check in on your traffic sources. It's a marketing tool. It's not really the best tool for SaaS analytics. It's not telling you what's happening within your app very well. It's not telling you uh, how, to, how to get people to view more, pay, you know, to view more screens. It's, its specialty is basically giving transparency to advertisers and marketers as to how their traffic is impacting first-time customer acquisition. And so Google Analytics always been strong in that area and everything else we use it for is it's it's okay but it's not really the primary purpose really they, they have google analytics it's free because they want us to sell more they want to sell more advertising and so i don't think that it was ever meant to be used for that and if google closed the hole then it's 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 unfortunate that more free tool that has the ability to, to analyze that easily. But it just means, it doesn't mean that it's gone. It just means you have to do more work to get the results you're looking for. Right. Uh, so you talked that Google Analytics, uh, Google is pushing uh, ads into, ads data into Google Analytics as well since long. So uh, like tips, for, any tips for people who are just beginning into Google ads? So what metrics to track in GA and what mistakes to avoid while you're tracking those metrics? 
there. So a lot of times with Google ads specifically, and I'm talking about keyword based advertising. So what I call PPC, like traditional search based PPC for text ads based on keywords, just to clarify those, like basically it's a black box, the difference between what you click on or what somebody bids on and then what they do. So Google has a binary conversion tracking mechanism where you bid on a keyword, let's call it blue shoes. And if you bid on the keyword blue shoes and there's thousands of people who click on it and they go to your website, it'll tell you how many people bought or how many people converted and your conversion number will be 10. So basically it tells you that 1% of the people who clicked on it ended up taking the action you wanted them to, but it doesn't tell you anything about the other 990 people who did not. Frankly, is it, it tells you, it helps you piece together that story as to why they're leaving. So when you get, when you look at that campaign, at the 990 people who didn't convert, you can see what their bounce rate was. Was their bounce rate 99%, meaning that almost everybody left with only, without viewing another page? Did they spend a certain amount of time on that page? Was your lead form easy to get at? Did they start entering data into the form fields? Did they watch the video on your landing page? What did they do? Google Analytics, if you configure it properly, can tell you exactly why that person, or give you a really good idea of why that person did not convert. Google Ads is binary, either it happened or it didn't. And so if you want everything in between, I sent 990 people, what the heck did they do? Google Analytics is your tool to look at. And the specifically the Google Ads reports in Google Analytics are nice because they bridge the gap between what you paid for in advertising and what they did on your website. Uh, I, wanna, I want to ask like, uh, when, when these 990 people came onto the website, so you just mentioned like if they watched a video or something like that, that makes me curious that does Google prioritize web pages with videos? I think video is just an example and, I, and they do not prioritize. I mean, when you, when you talk about paid advertising specifically through Google ads, there is a quality score that goes into your keyword and how your keyword matches your landing page or excuse me, how your keyword matches your ads and then how your ads match your landing page. And really it's relevancy based on the keyword appearing in all those areas. And so video is actually just an example of a, of a, of something that can happen on a landing page that's, yeah. that's in between somebody filling out your form or, or buying something. And so I was just trying to say that uh, if you're only looking at it binary as in they clicked and they, and then they bought, then you're not going to have any indicator as to why they dropped off along the way. And so this is just a video is just a way to, to help you understand if somebody's dropping off or not. But actually I don't, I don't have any personal as to whether a video on a landing page has any difference. I think that that's something that everybody should be testing. Right. It made me curious because video marketing is coming up and since uh, Google has YouTube, so if I'm embedding a video from YouTube on my landing page and I'm sending people through ads on that, uh, and if people are viewing the video, so I think it might or might not uh, like boost metrics on the landing page and it help me get, get good SEO around it. Yeah, I think that I'm, I, I've, I've noticed that organic search results are much better when they have YouTube videos embedded. And so my, you know, if I have a video, it, it, the rankings are better and the traffic is better. So I think that's, that's something for organic. I, I, I highly doubt that right now that it impacts any kind of quality scores with paid advertising. So it, it does change the rankings or improve the rankings or make it more optimized for organic traffic, you're saying? Personally, for me, it has, yes. I mean, we, we've been, my, my traffic has tripled this year. And the biggest change is that I'm writing deeper, more, more dense articles and that are targeted towards keywords and that we're doing a video to accompany it. And so it seems like anytime we do a video, we rank sooner and higher than if we don't. 
video for the same length of post, same, same author, same style of writing. How long did it take for a landing page with video versus how long did it take for a landing page without video for good ranking? Yeah, I want to clarify that these aren't, these aren't like paid landing pages. These are just blog posts. So I'm, I'm specifically talking about blog posts. And so it, it, it really depends. I think, you know, for, I'll give you an example of, of very recently. So we just did a Google Data Studio tutorial and we started it with a thousand word post with one video. And then we kept on adding to that, to that post uh, four sections until it became a 4,000 word post with four videos in it. And that started in the mid- middle of October. And we just finished, we just, we just now hit the first page with the, the money keyword we were going after around a data studio tutorial. And so it took us about a month to get there with our process of building any, you know, generally speaking, our YouTube video embedded pages will rank in the top, you know, two, two or three search results within about a month, um, as early as two weeks. And then some of these things just don't rank ever. And a lot of that comes down to the strength of the domain we're putting it on. We put it on a low domain authority site. It doesn't rank as well as if we have it on my Jeffalytics domain. So for that reason, we've moved most of our content to Jeffalytics because of the strength of the domain. Interesting. Like I also noticed that Jeff, before becoming a boss in GA, you had a solid experience with content and social. So out of personal interest, uh, I had some more questions for you on those. Sure. So which social channel in your experience is the best for a B2B SaaS for lead generation or for awareness? Yeah, the best, um, <laughs> that's a good question. I, I, I think that most likely it's going to be, it depends on the, on the cost of the, of the SaaS. So if it's a, if it's a hundred dollar a month product, there's one recommendation I'll give. If it's $10, there's another, if it's a, you know, it depends on lifetime value. I would say that most likely you have to understand, it doesn't really matter what social channel you're on. What you have to understand is the motivations of your customer. You have to understand how they want to be talked to. And then you have to, uh, you have to get um, critical mass to the point where your social efforts are going to have any result. And so that could end up being Facebook for some people. It could end up being, I highly doubt that it's going to be Twitter. Uh, I think that LinkedIn, I'm, I'm very intrigued by LinkedIn myself because I think that it has the best targeting options. And it's also already in the context of business. And so, for example, my I actually have a LinkedIn course that's about how to do B2B lead generation for both, mostly for professional services, but also for SaaS companies. And it all comes down to narrowing down your target audience to people that, that, that match your ideal customer profile. And so I don't really care what network somebody uses, but the key thing here is that you have to have your ideal customer profile. You have to have the, know their demographics. You have to know their motivations. You have to know their job titles. You have to know a lot about them before you're going to have success with social. I don't think that just putting that, just creating a, a, a social page on Facebook and then posting 1.5 updates a week about some, you know, trying to create engagement and people like your posts I don't think that's going to generate any leads for you anytime soon. So I think that LinkedIn is, is the best way to go, but it has to come down. You have to really be targeted. You can't go after everybody in your, in your entire country who has a certain job title. You need to get really specific by targeting companies, by targeting micro geographies. There's a lot of things you can do within LinkedIn sales navigator product. So you need to have a premium product to get the best results there. Totally. And in case if any one of you listeners is, are wondering uh, about the LinkedIn course Jeff is talking about, so I'll link to it in the description below. Also, I did an episode with Jeff's partner, Isaac. 
he's the linkedin expert so i'll link to that podcast also in the description below and jeff uh, earlier we talked that uh, video, using videos on your landing pages helped you get uh, better results and faster results into search engines than landing pages without videos so uh, do you think like video marketing or uh, making videos uh, like video form content is much better than the images and the text as it was before yeah it depends on your audience so i i've actually done video and it worked terribly and then i've done video and it worked really well and the people who it worked terribly for it were busy business owner types, people who didn't have a lot of time and who didn't want to sit down and watch a video. So if I had a 15 minute video and it was the, somebody who was an executive or an owner of a business, they wouldn't give me 15 minutes. And so if your entire message is tied to something that's, that requires their time, their active time, then it, it can be, it, it won't work. Um, it won't work very well. Now video works better when somebody is more like a consumer, um, whether it's a consumer of B2B items or if it's a consumer of, of, of products is another, you know, another story. Basically, if somebody is in a position where they want to consume your content, then video can be really effective. It creates a bigger, a better long-term relationship than just doing text alone. It creates more, I think it's more meaningful video because it has it's multiple mediums. It's, it's the visual, visual element, it's the audio element. And also you can do, if you do transcriptions or some kind of write-up, you, you hit on all cylinders. People can view it in multiple, multiple mediums. And so I would say for me, what's working best is having multiple mediums as an option for the different people that are out there to consume it. Great. And when you're doing content marketing, so uh, when should one start expecting results from content marketing? Because I think uh, content is all about blogs and uh, blogs are into Google search engines uh, and it takes some wi- a while to get it indexed. Yeah. So when should one start expecting the results out of content marketing? So I think practical advice for anybody, anybody is to take your, your current expectation of how long you should take to get results. So if you think it's going to take a year, then double it. If you think it's going to take three months, then then double it. If you think it's going to take six months, double it. It's going to take twice as long as you think to have anything meaningful. It's it's like a day. It's exactly one day after you're about to give up on doing it, and and that's just how it goes. You need to have a certain amount of pain pain and misery in content marketing before it starts to pay off. Unless you are working with somebody who's been there, done that before, or somebody who sort of solved the trick or knows how to build an audience. But if you're just a general run-of-the-mill person like myself, who's like, I know content marketing is important. I I personally consume it and enjoy it. If you're one of those types of people, then it's going to be you know, it's, it's, it's the whole, it's like the, the adoption curve where you have like the, the peak of high expectations and then the trough of disillusionment and then like the, the new normal. I don't know if you can put a picture in the, in the lesson notes or in the show notes, that'd be cool to know what I'm talking about. But, uh, that's, that's what you need. You need to go through that peak of expectations and you need to go through the trough of disillusionment before content marketing really becomes a consistent thing. Right. Uh, and should early stage startups or early stage SaaS companies, so should they build an in-house marketing team or should they outsource to agencies? Um, I would absolutely recommend that they do it in-house. I think that a marketing team as early as possible doing, doing content marketing around your product, putting your product in people's hands, talking about use cases, creating the market is what you want to do. And an agency is not going to have the accountability that you're looking for. They're not going to care as much as you do. And they're not going to be able to, to deliver 
to your expectations and it's going to be very expensive. So I'd, I would highly recommend doing it in-house as much as possible and then bring agencies in. I wouldn't outsource a strategy to them ever, but I'm into do the execution in areas where you don't have the skills. So, so for example, if, if there's somebody who's really good at doing a certain part of video or even like writers and stuff like that, you can outsource that to agencies and have them do the pieces that are, that fulfill your strategy. But overall, if you have them doing everything for you, it'd be a very expensive thing. And the only way that it makes sense is if you have an investment or if you have a long view on your business and you're, you're investing in years two and three. And then I think it will be very effective then. But I would say in-house is where you're going to get the best results. And I think that should be one of your first hires. Right. And I think the courses that you have launched on Google Analytics about PPC and also now the LinkedIn Jumpstart course. So I think these courses would really train an in-house individual and give them enough expertise into all these things so that they can do everything on their own and rather than outsourcing to agencies. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've been in an agency for over a decade. And so it would be weird for me to say, don't use agencies, but I, I think that they have a time and place and it's not usually in the early stages that they have the best results. They're, they're the ones who help you scale. And so, um, yeah, I would, I would say get it in house. It's more cost effective that way. And it helps you institutionalize your knowledge and, and you get, you get all the learnings and then bring your agency to help you scale or, or rent their time because they know how to do it and they've been there, done that. Right. So this was a great chat with you, Jeff. Thanks for coming on to the podcast. Oh, yeah. No, thanks for having me. This is really, really fun.